Hey guys, this is Nida and you're listening to Underground. Firstly, I want to apologize for the fact that I haven't posted in a while. I have a very simple yet a very, very important message for you guys. I know you all know this, but it's just so important to say it over and over again. You guys always back up your stuff, your productions, your recordings, everything. Like don't even get lazy for a minute. Just like get done with something, save it. Every time you make a change, save it, back up immediately like i can't stress this enough i had the recording in place i had the whole thing in place interview was done everything was right on time except my mac froze and i lost everything and then i had to reschedule and re-record and this whole thing took a while and um honestly i am so so grateful because our guest today is so incredibly nice and sweet and humble that he actually agreed to do this extensive interview all over again that is such a stressful thing but he was so sweet and so nice that we could really go through it again but i cannot stress this enough back up all your shit like it is so so important so today's episode is a very very special underground episode i'm gonna make up for all the time i made you guys wait because today i take you back in time to the late 80s and the early 90s for our guest today is a very very incredibly special guest that i'm so excited to bring to you he is one of the founders of the Technoculture in Berlin. He was a resident DJ at the first ever Acid House Club in Berlin ever. It was called the UFO Club. He was someone who played at the very first Love Parade from the 1989. He played for Love Parade. He played for the after party of Love Parade. He is someone who played the night East Berlin and West Berlin danced together for the very first time in history. He has seen techno evolve he has been one of the reasons why techno evolved so there is so much about this man to celebrate he has brought cyberspace to us techno said ufo too there is just so much that this man's done that i cannot say enough to justify his introduction so i'm just gonna let him do all the talking i bring you the very very special dj Danith. Hey, Danit, I am so psyched to have you on my show. You have no idea. It's nice to have the chance to talk to you <laughs> and <laughs> to <right>. your listeners. <laughs> yes. Uh, so how did you discover your love for techno? My love for techno is uh, older than techno itself because <laughs> uh, I was into industrial in the early 80s. And what I searched in industrial is probably that what later got called techno. And uh, if you listen to early industrial or electronic body music like uh, Throbbing Grizzle, Cabaret Voltaire, later on then Test Department or Nizza App, there is that feeling of techno already in there. Like yeah. it's danceable, it's, it's electronic, and yeah, it's, it's, it's always what I was always looking at. Not the, the, the clean type of electronics like Kraftwerk or Change Regime, but I wanted to have like a dystopian, uh, dirty, like cyberpunk. That's how my love of, for techno started before the term was even in the world. <laughs> I started first started DJing in when I was living in Wiesbaden in a, in a punk club. Mm -hmm. And 
because I was always buying the records and people told me, if you buy all these records, why don't you play them to people? And I thought, nice idea. And I didn't like it. In mm -hmm. fact, I hated it because they, they booked me to play different music. But when I played there, they wanted to listen to their Depeche Mode, Cure, Iggy Pop, uh, <laughs> Billy Idol and all this stuff. And whenever I played something else, it was like, ah, can you play the other stuff again? It's too... <laughs> too experimental, too complicated, uh, <laughs> you can't dance to this. And I said, no, I don't do it. No, I don't, I, I, I don't want to wreck my music like that. Yeah. And uh, then I moved to Berlin in 1988 and Acid started. Mm -hmm. And then I thought I never will DJ again. But when Acid started, it was like my soundtrack for life. I was always listening to it and I had ideas how to combine things with it. And so I started DJing again. When I started, um, I for me, it was always like I had to choose between having something to eat or buying a record. It was always like that. Oh my I was God. used to it. <laughs> yeah. And you would buy the record? Oh my God, really? I would buy the record, yeah. You yeah, would buy course. the record? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And that's why I started DJ because I thought, okay, then I can earn some more money to get more records or get something to eat. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> And when I started for the second time DJing with Acid, I started because I wanted to, to get uh, my own record players and my own mixer. And so to that time you got, got for one night, you got like, I played from 10 in the evening to four or five in the morning. And I got 60, like 60 euros, 50 euros for the whole night. I played the whole night and I got 50 euros. And you heard about these DJs in America, okay, which was like 500 euros a night <laughs> for two hours playing. And we always thought, Boy, that would be great if that would happen, <laughs> if we could, but we, we never thought of that because we thought, well, you know, England, USA is uh, far and uh, the DJ scene is different than here. But like in 1991, I got, because I was one of the few DJs or the few known DJs, I book, got booked every weekend and uh, was flying with planes, which I didn't do before. And... Uh, I was uh, like on the road every week and suddenly I got like, it was just for fun. Uh, I didn't have the time to play at a, at, at a place and it just made for fun. Yeah, if you give me 1,000 euros, I could play. And they said, yeah, no problem. You get 1,000. Wow. wow. <laughs> it happened. And from that, I always asked for like 1,000 or 1,500. It worked. Within one year, I got from like nothing to like more than I got in the year before in one night. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, I mean, when was your first night at UFO? You call it UFO, right? Or is it UFO? Yeah, UFO was uh, 1988. 1988. In Berlin, Kreuzberg. Right. So when was your first night at UFO? Well, I, I don't think I played the first night at the UFO. I was uh, always because I knew all the people. We were like a small bunch of uh, people who thought this is the future. Like 150 people. I, I wasn't DJing to the time. I had like 20 records in that. I just got into that. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I was a very manic dancer to that time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like, like three or four months later, I started DJing there when I had enough records. Like mm -hmm. at the end of '88. Okay. But my night was at the second UFO because the, move, uh, the UFO had to move from Kreuzberg to Schöneberg because it was like a, the first UFO was a small, damp, wet, dirty cellar, a hole, <laughs> a cave, kind <laughs> okay. of, yeah. uh, with no PA, uh, just a box and some lights. And uh, it was in a building where people were living uh, and we got trouble mm -hmm. because it was too loud, of course. <laughs> the boom, boom, boom got through all the floors. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we had to move 
in 89, I think, to Schöneberg, the okay. second UFO, which was an abandoned supermarket mm -hmm. where we uh, had a proper PA, finally a bar where we can, could sell drinks. Yeah, but this was in a kind of like a skyscraper and uh, there were tubes coming, going through the whole building and so we had trouble again. <laughs> of course, uh, the, the tubes were uh, resonating the base through the whole building. And so um, it, was, it was a place to be, to meet the people, but it wasn't, we couldn't be as now. But uh, whatever, we did our, our thing there and I had my first night there at the Cyberspace Club on Wednesdays where I had like so this is a new 50... Yeah, this was in U42, and uh, yeah, there I made my club, and it, from because we weren't so, it was better than nothing, mm -hmm. but it wasn't um, a real club. It was a, an abandoned supermarket, so it was built like a supermarket, yeah? like a small supermarket. Uh, we were always looking out, so there must be something better. When the wall came down, the whole east was open. So in 1991, the U42 closed and Trezor opened which was a successor to, to the UFO. It was in April, April, I think, uh, 1991. Mm -hmm. The evolution of techno in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, UFO was uh, literally, you were, you were the main resident DJ there and uh, it held the after party for the very first love parade of 1989. And you played that night. So can you tell me about this night? Like what happened? How was it? Of course, it was always fun, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it wasn't as big as uh, as you would imagine. The Love for It '89 wasn't as big. It was still small. I mean, maybe one thousand people or so. '88 uh, was very small. It was just Berlin people, uh, like one hundred fifty people. All the people that went to UFO went to the Love First Love for It, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and the second one uh, there were some. Already people from Cologne coming, yeah. I think from Munich. And the people from Cologne played with us in the U42, like Klaus Bachor played there. And um, yeah, it was like uh, the first time that other cities came to Berlin. Not as big as like in 91 or the other years, but it was a start. It was like, it, like, it was more like uh, we played there, like we played every weekend and mm -hmm. we discussed how it was. and. Uh, because I wasn't too convinced about the love parade at first. And in the night we, we were talking about it, like I said, yeah, okay, it was, it was a good idea. And, but it wasn't like, uh, hey, we started something big. We, could, <laughs> we didn't know it, it, it would, would get big. It was just the first time and we didn't even know if the year after that it would happen again. Yeah. So it was just uh, the first time it happened and uh, we, tried, we tried it, it worked and uh, we hoped that we could go on with it. But it wasn't like we made something historical. That's it wasn't crazy. like that. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, so love parades, um, the love parade took place in 1989. And was the initiator to bring people together and promote like love and peace. So even though back then nobody really knew about the Berlin Wall coming down or that it would break down eventually. How did the love parade really start? Like, do you know, like, like how, how did the talks begin and how did it happen? How did it start? Uh, everybody gathered at the Kudam mm -hmm. and then the trucks moved up the Kudam and down again. And uh, at the first love parade, there was just a small truck where we had to play uh, tapes because it was pretty difficult to put record players on trucks through that time. It wasn't experienced <laughs> and we, we didn't want to do wreck things. Yeah. And uh, I think at the second love parade, it was the same. It was mostly tapes that were played. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just starting at 1991 where record players and, and stuff got on, on, on big trucks. Before it was just like a bully or something and uh, back there you had the boxes. The big trucks like uh, that came in 1981. So uh, tell me about um, the night when uh, November 9, 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down. And the first weekend after that, uh, you had a party at UFO where you played. And it was the first time people from the East and the West Poland came together. So that must have been a wild night. What was that like? That that literally marks history. So what was that night? Yeah, the, the whole time was <laughs> was kind of crazy. But uh, that night where I played cyberspace after the wall came down was really special because I didn't have too much contact to East Berlin. And then four East Berliners came into the club. Arne Gram, Wolle, Neugebauer, Zappa, and uh, who else was it? Johnny Stieler. And I know these guys to that day. Uh, we just met and it clicked. They were looking for the sound that I was playing and I played the sound and so we just had like perfect match, kind of. And for, from this connection, uh, the first waves in Berlin happened, like Techno Seed, which was organized by these guys mm-hmm. and me as a resident DJ. And uh, Johnny Stieler is also one of the guys who, uh, who found the Tresor. And uh, it was a kind of a nucleus which really blossomed. <laughs> yeah. It was a perfect match. We searched for each other and, or, or we didn't even search. We just found each other yeah. just when the wall came down. Wow. So what was, what was the significance of techno after the war? That... Well, it was uh, when, we, when the war was up, there was uh, two small scenes like the west scene with 150 people and the east scene maybe more also 150 people who all listened to the one radio show by monica Dietl. Mm-hmm. and we had the kind of the same level of knowledge about the music because we listened to the same radio show and listened to the same tracks and so when the wall came down it was pretty unique because all other youth cultures were like pretty different in the east and the west because uh, when you heard hip hop in the West, it was different when you listened to it in the East because uh, there was just uh, a different socialization. And with techno, we both started at point zero. We, mm-hmm. we didn't have like a, a gap between knowledge in the East and the West. We just had to start at level zero and started together. So it didn't matter if you came come from East or West. It was just we were techno and it's all united. Yeah. Like it should be. <laughs> And from that, it, it multiplicated, right? It, it, um, from the 150 people in the West and 150 in the, in, the, in the East, when we had all these abandoned buildings, clubs, uh, we made clubs out of it and we made the raves, like Technosit was, um, for example, we started with like maybe 500 people. Mm-hmm. And within one year, we had like 5,000. Wow. Within one year, it was, it was like tenfold. And yeah. uh, this is how the scene was. It was, like, it was, was just exploding from 1990, I think. Yeah, 1990 was the start where we all united and all the clubs opened. 91 uh, opened the clubs, but from 1991, on, it, it exploded kind of. Wow, okay. So uh, UFO was technically an illegal club, right? Were all the clubs illegal eventually? UFO was legal because in the it was uh, when when the wall was up, uh, it was uh, it had to be legal. In the West, you couldn't do anything illegal because every square meter was rented or used, and you couldn't do anything illegal because there was no place to do illegal things. When the wall came down, it was a different thing because in the East you had all these abandoned buildings, and uh, because the two states, East Germany and West Germany, merged, 
there was kind of nobody knew was was law and is or what isn't law anymore right. so you could you could go into buildings and nobody would say anything because uh, nobody knew what to do uh, there was no owner there was no law which would forbid uh, to to use uh, the flat mm. and uh, so we just could squat it there were like empty stores empty cellars empty complete empty buildings <laughs> where you could do stuff like uh, you could live there for free you could do a gallery you could do a club you could do a bar whatever people did that it was a kind of a pretty freedom and techno was a perfect soundtrack for it because the wall came down the, uh, everything clashed and you had these clashing sounds so it mm -hmm. was a perfect soundtrack for the time you didn't feel it in this moment you were just like so immersed in it you just were everything went pretty fast you know the, in the one one day this house was squatted and the next day there was a bar there was a gallery through every weekend you had like three or different more or more clubs where you had no before <laughs> <laughs> suddenly had like 15 clubs or something mm -hmm. and then the after hours started like we saw that people wanted to still go out after the normal clubs closed and so we made the after hours after hour clubs which weren't there before were or pretty shady clubs which mm -hmm. had like cocaine victims or so mm -hmm. and uh, we made the first after our clubs where you could go after the club, you could go to the next club and uh, could go on, yeah. So what was it like to like, you know, evolve with uh, a new genre evolving with you? Like, and, and you being such an active part of evolving that genre. How did you find your sound? Yeah, because I was always searching for these sounds. I was always looking for dystopian soundtrack like sounds and which were not like not like songs should be more like a soundtrack with rhythm for me and uh, i was finding that in techno i was reading a lot of cyberpunk books to that time and mm -hmm. for me it was like the perfect soundtrack for it i had my walkman on and was reading it it was like <laughs> you don't need drugs, you know, <laughs> you just read it and listen to it and well, wow. yeah. <laughs> it was great. And I was always kind of refining, like I started with acid and then I, I tried to bring in more like EBM stuff to go with acid and to make it, uh, people came from two directions into techno, like the, the one were coming from, from punk, like me, punk or industrial, and the others were, were coming from disco or high energy because it was also electronic. I was more into that. Uh, it shouldn't sound nice. It, it, it shouldn't please anyone. <laughs> it was just, yeah. uh, if, if somebody gets it, it's perfect for him. And if people don't like it, it's okay too. They can listen to house. <laughs> it was my thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was always like, since the early 80s, uh, searching for that metal sounds, dystopian sounds, and with, with a hard beat. And um, yeah, that's how I found my sound. So uh, in in the in the time frame between UFO and UFO two, there was a there was a time period where the parties didn't stop. Like they still happen, like in different locations in secret. So there were like secret clues given on radio, and there were like people with roses at the station and being like they guided to like the graves. What was that about? That's no, not in the UFO two and UFO two time. No, because this is there in the UFO Wikipedia page. So I'm like really. <laughs> <laughs> No, to that time, uh, no, because the wall was still up. I think it was a time between UFO 2 and Tresor. They had the first e-work party happened there when there was no e-work, uh, but uh, they, they partied. And we had some bunker parties mm -hmm. in bunkers, like like in the, in the woods and stuff. This happened after you for two, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so I may have gotten the timeline wrong, but what would happen? You guys would give out secret clues. What were the clues like, if you could give me a few <laughs> examples? <laughs> well, we just, 
there were some people like uh, when, when the wall came down we were exploring the east side mm -hmm. and people were looking for places to, where we could make parties which were abandoned and not used anymore like factories or bunkers like old military buildings and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, which were far off from from civilization where nobody would disturb us that's how it happened we, we met at one place rented a bus and the, the bus uh, drove to the place and mm -hmm. people got out and partied. There were, there were some crazy stories because when we were at these bunkers, for example, we had suddenly uh, military there. <laughs> <laughs> they were there with, with machine guns and everything. What are you doing here? Yeah. But we, clever as we are, we faked a sign that we could use this. And, um, That's <laughs> insane. That's but it, it, it changed the owner from the East military to the West military. And the West military didn't know what they can do or what, what is allowed to do with us uh, or not. And uh -huh. so we showed them the sign that we got it from the major that we, uh -huh. we, we can use it. And so if you want to have a beer, just sit down and have a beer. And, <laughs> so there were and they bought that? Military guys. crazy. They saw all the people happy dancing and there were no, no danger or something. We weren't aggressive or so. And yeah. so they were sitting there seeing us dancing in, in, a, <laughs> in a place that was before like the place of doom and we made it to a happy place. And they were sitting there drinking a beer and said, uh, thank you and left again. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Okay. Uh, so the 1991 love parade was insanely big and people came in from all over Germany it came they came all over Europe so um before the love parade did you have did you expect it to be this big I didn't expect it to be that big I knew it would be better or bigger than in 90 because we're just Cologne and some people of Munich came and I knew people from Nuremberg wanted to come because I knew them people from Würzburg wanted to come because I knew them I, I knew a lot of my people wanted to come to love grade but when i i lived like 10 minutes walk uh, walkway from uh, from where it started when i walked there it was totally crowded with colorful people <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> crazy people yeah. and like, oh when it's starting here already <laughs> nobody normally nobody that wasn't a techno club or yeah. something nothing techno in the in the area when it's starting here already and i walked up to the gudam where, where it started and that was just massive <laughs> awesome and massive. Uh, lots of. Uh, I knew that a lot of people would come, but I, I didn't expect that much. Like it was like every scene from Germany came to Berlin uh, to the Love Parade. Yeah. More than I than I expected to even exist. I didn't know how much we were to that time. Nobody knew it. Wow, because 1991 Love Parade was like massive, and people came from everywhere. In fact, it even uh, impacted uh, the the music scene so much, and. Uh, it brought people for the first time together. You guys networked and, you know, exchanged contacts. That really happened? Like, it didn't happen yeah, it before? Really happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah it happened, yeah. Yeah, it didn't. Uh, and it, it really gave a confidence that we are something. Like, like one year ago, uh, people would say, ah, oh, it's just fading. You know, you had the acid stuff and now they have this techno stuff. It's all fading. It's, just, it's not music. It's computerized and everything. Mm -hmm. And nobody will listen to it in one year. And one year later, you had like this massive blowout of people that were good for our confidence. We know we made a point. We were a scene now. 
they had to deal with us, like the music yeah. industry, or uh, we, we were doing our own things, uh, our labels, our productions, and all this started, we had no internet, of course, but <laughs> we had telephones, so everything was co kind of connecting, all the cities were connected together, DJs were like the ambassadors from city to city, the movement started, yeah. So how did the Love Parade 1991 affect your life? Like I said before, after that, I could ask for 1,000 euros for a gig. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. I was like one of like the four or five DJs from Berlin that everybody wanted to book. And it impacted me because 1991 impacted me also because I first I took my first ex <laughs> before I didn't take drugs. And uh, because when you're DJing, you try to be on the same level as the people. And everybody took me, so I took one too. And it was like, Wow, now we're on the same level. Yeah, all this together was like shut through the time. The, the, the rest of 1991 just flew through me. <laughs> like uh, whether I was playing at Tresor or, or at Walpish or at, at Planet or the other days I was flying to Frankfurt, Nuremberg, Cologne, Hamburg, whatever. And mm -hmm. I was just everywhere on the road. Also, I read that the scenes in all these places were like different from one another. Why was that so? From city to city, you have like different like frankfurt you had like techno club before like ebm music uh in other cities you had like more like disco or high energy clubs where the people come came to techno then you had like the people had different slangs different clothes i don't know that where the different clothes came from but you could see in every city um, there was a special vibe kind of you still have it today. Every city you go to has different vibe. Yeah. And this is uh, was also happening in, in the techno scenes. The ones were more colorful, the others were looking more militant, others were like more posh. <laughs> and from city to city it changed. Like cities with more money had posher clothes. In the east you had abandoned buildings and uh, very enthusiastic young kids which experienced for the first time since 40 years total freedom with the music they uh, where they started the movement. And so every, every Everybody tried to do his own thing, and uh, but with the same with the same music, kind of. Also, I've read that there was always some sort of friction between Berlin and Frankfurt. Is that even true, or that's just something people write about? No, that's more a make of front page to that time. I come from the area of Frankfurt originally. Mm -hmm. I don't know how these people take. Uh, Frankfurt is more like a hierarchical city full of bankers, mm -hmm. whereas Berlin is like they, they thought of as a loser city where everybody is going who doesn't want to go to the army and there's no money in Berlin. Mm -hmm. And then Berlin got up and had like, everybody went to Berlin. Some people from Frankfurt even moved to Berlin. And so the, the Frankfurters were like, hmm, what is going on there? Uh, <laughs> and, but it, it wasn't really that serious. I played a lot of times in Frankfurt, even when I was a Berliner, I felt like, like the ambassador of Berlin to, to Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. And when people from Frankfurt came to Berlin, it wasn't like, you're from Frankfurt, it was, was more like, hey, I saw the city. Yeah. It was more like a, a healthy competition. They said right. like, uh, Berlin has the best parties, but we make the business. That was their saying. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about cyberspace. Like, tell me all the crazy stories that happened there. Like, tell me about the different, the hot sounds and the lights and why it was different from all the places that existed. Yeah, I started uh, because I wanted to get money for buying record players and it was a nice chance to train DJing. I was every Friday and every Saturday and I liked the music, but I, I wanted to take it further. Yeah. Uh, it was nice, but it wasn't where I wanted to go. I, you had like 
playing like LFO and the next moment you have Marshall Jefferson. Then you heard like um, harder tracks and softer tracks, but the DJs weren't that much forcing into a direction that I wanted to go. And uh, I wanted to go in a harder direction Mm -hmm. still today <laughs> and uh, so I talked to the guys who did it to so and said can I do one night just for for my sound I know there are people who wanted to wanted to listen to my sound maybe it's not much but it doesn't cost you anything maybe 50 euros for the night and uh, you take all the bar stuff and let's try it and so I could go on with it and I had like 50 to 70 people every Wednesday night mm -hmm. who were just coming for my sound and wanted to feel and, and did yeah. do the harder stuff. Yeah, and that's uh, how Cyberspace uh, got on. It got harder and harder and better and better. <laughs> But it, it got into techno teeth and then we got the, the lots of people. Uh -huh. Then we had like at the end 5,000. Like uh, Cyberspace was pre-form of, of techno teeth because I met guys who, who came to Cyberspace and had the idea we have to make this bigger. We have yeah. to make this to a rave. And right. so cyberspace was like the baby of Technocid. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, when you started touring around and, um, you know, you started doing gigs beyond Berlin, uh, what, what made Berlin stand out? Like, why was Berlin different from most other places? Like, what was different that was going on in these uh, different cities? Like, in Berlin, we don't have, like, techno wasn't happening in typical discos where they have like a big t-shirt contest on Friday on a techno night on Saturday. This was more like in West Germany where you have a, like, you got a credit card when mm -hmm. you got in and when you got out, you had to give the, the card away and you could see how much money you drank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was not, uh, I wasn't used to that. I found it really strange. And in the East, it was like more like old culture houses, which were made into clubs, uh, not really disco, but, but more like multifunction rooms uh, that could be used uh, as a club. Mm -hmm. and, um, so every city had like, yeah, it was, it was a, a difference from West to East and East you had a difference between a city where, we, where we had like locations which were made for events or you could go into like the far small towns where they use a, a gym or whatever <laughs> there was <laughs> to make a rave. Okay, so in 1994, you opened for Love Parade on a Russian tank. Where did you get one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, were you thinking? <laughs> That is crazy. <laughs> well, uh, I, I didn't like uh, the way the Love Parade was going. Mm -hmm. And I thought uh, I have to make something different. And uh, I was playing a Tachlis, which was like a squatted uh, old warehouse, mm -hmm. which got into an art building. And the guys from Spiral Tribe had uh, a Russian MiG plane there and old Russian tank was there. Some friends asked if we can lend it. Wait, so the tank was in the backyard? Yeah, it was just standing there in the backyard. I don't know how it got there. They had it <laughs> somehow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and I, I just landed and uh, yeah, then it was pink to the time we got it. And we had to re-militarize it that we play, painted it olive. And then we put, because the thing couldn't drive anymore and wouldn't be allowed to drive a tank on the left road, so we put it on a truck. But nobody thought that it was on a truck because it was just above their heads. And so it looked like the tank was rolling over the love parade. So you opened for love parade and that, that is massive. That's wild. Yeah, it was funny because nobody was expecting that. Everybody <laughs> was expecting like, like rockets or spaceships. <laughs> whatever on the truck but not yeah. a tank <laughs> i already told people if you want to come on the truck you have to wear camouflage 
<laughs> no people without camouflage on the truck and it was the only truck full of camouflage and fog and everything it was it was massive that was crazy <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy that's wild so i also read that you wrote for the front page magazine and uh, they actually mm-hmm. at one point stated that uh, techno music was not taken seriously until the 1991 love parade why is that well uh because techno was before you had like different uh definitions of techno you had like the detroit uh, definition of techno like from the detroit techno centers which was more you could nowadays you would even say it's more house and on the other side you had like techno in frankfurt which was more like ebm for 242 but the techno that we know today as techno wasn't developed before 1991 because everybody was still searching we had like the aftermath of acid mm-hmm. and from that came like more ebm into it to me or more uh stuff from uk and it defined more and more through the productions like from rns records like music man records sticky records from from belgium and uh, lots of very small labels from uk with 1991 you could say this is techno but the techno from 1991 is not totally defined because in 1991 there it was a much broader space like everything was techno in 1991 <laughs> from uh, stuff like the breakbeat like eon for example or lfo was techno the same as uh, vortex by joey beltran uh, this was all techno and nowadays you have like if you get a little bit out of the regime you you're already in another genre Okay, this one I'm very excited to ask you. Is there any fond memory that you have from this entire crazy ride that you've had? No, there be so no, many. So feel free to name <laughs> as many as you like. I would love to know. Yeah, uh, uh, fond memories of like uh, meeting all these great people that I still know. Most of them I still know today. Like uh, all these artists. from underground resistance up to all these english guys like michael bells but it's still happening it's not like the past it's still happening today i meet so much artists or talk to so much artists and it's uh, what i experience it's that this life lead is different to a life that a normal worker has or a normal person has because there's not at least in my bubble there's not much envy it's more more helpful everybody helps each other out it's not like oh you're more important than me or you have more followers and stuff like that in in my bubble that doesn't happen it's still uh, the artists uh, support each other that's a great thing still happening today and that's what I, what I first liked in techno of course there are always people there that uh, have envy because you are bigger or you have more fans or whatever but the the, the most artists that i know they don't have this it's just not in their genes they're not, they're not working like that they're yeah. supporting each other because it's it's a big scene and when you help someone they have you as another time and that's just uh, one of the best memories that you, you can have of techno of course there are some happenings uh, like uh, at the second maybe there's a german author books called Reinhard Götz and I always read his books and at the second maybe uh, it was so crowded that I uh, went on the on the on the stage of the stage lights this big thing I went up there to have my my calm and just have a look from up and down and there was another guy <laughs> right beside me and I saw I, I was the only guy up there and this was a guy by always reading the books and he's called Reinhard Götz and it was just crazy we were, bo- we were both on the had both the same idea is to call it here we walk up there <laughs> sit on the traverse where the lights are and 
uh, just met there and said, are you Reinhard Götz? Yes, are you Talis? Yes, I read your books, I love your music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one day we had a, a thing called, um, what was it called? Rave and Cruise, which was organized by uh, some Munich people, where we went from Milano to Pizza, Creta, and all these islands in a, in one week. And uh, this was so drugged up, but on, on the other end, it, like fear and loathing in Las Vegas was nothing against it. Yeah. It was totally crazy, but uh, I have fond memories of that because it worked. <laughs> <laughs> all the people were like crazy, but uh, on a cruise ship, and um, it was just totally fun. It was like, like you would expect uh, techno in the 90s, totally up up to uh, up to here with the and uh, still working you when know? <laughs> <laughs> when you're in there uh, for 30 years there's so much that has happened and uh, fond memories there are lots of <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine that sounds so fun so um you've been a part of so many events that have so much historical importance i want to know what is your favorite the one that holds a special place in your heart for me personally, the, uh, my favorite was to play the universe in uh, UK because uh, I always wanted to play in England because most of the Berlin DJs were more into like Chicago or Detroit, but I was always more like into the English sound. Yeah. And when they booked me, it was like, boy, I can go to England, see the original <laughs> UK rave. And, and I was even the first, the first German DJ that they booked over there. For a rave. Wow, that's and, crazy! Uh, yeah, and and the, the DJ that we, which I was playing at the stand uh, is Luke McMillan, called the D DJ, the producer, and there came a tape out uh, from our gigs, and this was uh, pretty successful in in UK. So uh, the people still up to to today know the the, the mixtape of me and the DJ producer because like a magic night lots of people told me that when i was playing mm -hmm. that the sound of uk changed because uh they never heard something like this before typical german hard hardcore stuff wow. and for me that was yeah maybe one of the best gigs which came out of it yeah that sounds really good that sounds so fun wow <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start producing exactly well, it's the same like like with the DJing. I started producing like maybe in 1985, where I got like a little Mattel uh, drum machine. Then I got a small Casio sampler with like two times seven seconds uh, recording time and a Fostex eight track, four track recorder. And this was like the start. And uh, yeah, then I was living in West Berlin and we did my small experiments with sampling and stuff and the real producing like getting a studio just started maybe 1992 or 1993 when I got all the money I thought okay now I can buy a studio or build one. And what did you put in that studio back then? Also what do you use today? To that time I was mostly using hardware like I, my main thing was samplers like RSR, RSR 10 from Sonic E6400 from Emu, and then I had some since like the Nordlead and Waldorf Microwave. And of course, yeah, uh, I started with Atari computer and moved on to Mac. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to the Mac, uh, the thing with audio recording started. And so I got more and more into the computer, which I still do today, which mm -hmm. is my studio is mostly software-based, but I have like an Ableton Push, the TR-8S, mm -hmm. 
and Microfreak and Minilog and Sendilay and uh, some some little hardware I like to just to jam around and record it in the, into Ableton and work further with the, with the recordings in Ableton. Yeah. Uh, how did you learn producing? Did you teach yourself? Yeah, I teach myself. Yeah, yeah. You, you taught yourself? That's crazy. <laughs> it was just trial and error uh, when somebody came to the studio and showed me something, but mostly it was just reading magazines and tutorials in magazines and trying out. And since 1995, I had internet at home. So there were like not real tutorials, but you had like pages uh, that were copied from other magazines from US or UK, which I then copied and uh, made like big stacks of tutorials, which I worked to. This is how I learned it. That's a lot of work. Yeah, it took years. But what you learned today in like one hour took maybe five months. Once I had a media interface, which didn't work at all, whatever I tried, Today, you would go on a forum or whatever and why doesn't it work and you find the solution. I tried for three months. I had people at my studio. Nobody could uh, uh, solve it. So I had to give it away after three months not working because all the stuff didn't work. I bought another media interface so that I could finally work again. (laughs) That was a lot of dedication. That is really inspiring. Okay, Um, so how, how is the techno scene different today from what it used to be according to you? Well, it's way more bigger and way more money is in that. And uh, is it good and is it bad sides? Uh, when we started, we had like every city had its own thing. And you had more resident DJs, local DJs, which were successful in their own right. And now you have this, it, it got more global. When a small trend happens somewhere, the whole world knows about it within days. <laughs> yeah. And this is also a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, the good thing is that uh, everybody has the chance to know everything. Mm-hmm. And the bad thing is that genres don't have the time to to grow. When you see like how Jungle started, it was a UK thing Mm -hmm. that got bigger and bigger and got into drum and bass. Something like that wouldn't happen today because everybody would know about it. Everybody would criticize it, judge it or love it, whatever. And the people get too famous too early. So mm-hmm. that gives that doesn't give them time to develop. And I think it's better to to have a long time career than nowadays you have careers that maybe last for like three years and they are forgotten. If you look in a in a magazine from three years ago and see who was happening there, mm-hmm. most of the people you don't read anything about them anymore. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, your your career lifespan is like three to five years, and that's a good part of that. Some people yeah. get through. I didn't want to live the life that these big DJs uh, have to live now. Why not? Uh, I, I don't. I, I didn't want to. I don't want to live that uh, because they have to be like on three gigs every weekend, like Australia, South America, England, or Germany, France, Netherlands, which is okay. Three lands, but but three continents and three days and like this for every week. And yeah, you can, you can do this for a few years if you're really strong, yeah. but you can really dumb it. <laughs> you can really, yeah, you can, can really get lost in that, in that bubble. Yeah. Do you think it would ever go back to what it was in the 1990s? Like the, the mad scene that it was like now it's a bit commercial. Do you think it would ever go I, back to its authentic roots? I don't want to have it like like before because no. I lived through this already. I'm looking forward. I want if it gets crazy, I want another crazy, not the same craziness that I uh, already <laughs> experienced. Yeah. I don't want that uh, that some people 
that are now 20 years old live the craziness that I living uh, that I was living like 30 years ago. That's kind of boring, like like a, a rerun of the of the, what already happened. Yeah, that's true. Um, how do you think Corona is going to affect the present techno scene? Through this pandemic, there's like a forced pause in techno. The productions get better and better since years, mm -hmm. but at the moment you can't play the stuff real waves. We have like like small events where you can mm -hmm. play, but uh, the big business is kind of on hold. Interesting to see how what the uh, outcome of this is. Who who is still in there after the pandemic? I think a lot of people will get out of business because they're just in it for the business. And but I think the people will, who are in there because like artists, they have to do it. Like yeah. like I had to do it. Like choose between records and food. People <laughs> like that will always be in there. And I think. Yeah. Maybe some things, it's okay that some things of the big techno die off, but I, I hope that it doesn't die from the wrong end, <laughs> yeah. so to say. What would you advise people who've just about that out in the scene? Like, what, what words of wisdom would you give us? Uh, stay true to yourself. Don't try to be anything else or try, don't don't try to follow something that you can't handle <laughs> the main thing like uh, for example uh, saw a lot of people who wanted to be the next Sven Fate mm -hmm. or something but you are not Sven Fate mm -hmm. you are you and you should be you and uh, if your self-confidence is not that strong that you think you are something better than Sven Fate just forget about it because there isn't sweat fate already and if you want something that somebody else already has you will never get it because right. it's already there ask yourself what is unique for me what is my personality and try to bring that out and for djs don't try to follow trends find your own sound even if it's not popular in the moment maybe it gets popular soon or maybe you you are that good in it that you make it popular but don't try to follow to stand for yourself and do your own thing that's really the, the most important aspect in, in the whole thing. It's not about yeah. the money. You get yeah. the money because you do something that, uh, that you love and not vice versa. You, you don't get money uh, just okay. because you're doing music. You have to, you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, uh, you're lucky if you can live from it, but yeah. you shouldn't expect it. That is very, very uh, fair. Just a few people. Maybe you have to make sacrifices to your life to just to live your dream, but it's worth it in the end. Well, this was really fun, Tanith. I am so, so happy that you came on and you gave me your time again. <laughs> this has been... <laughs> this is really fun and you are amazing. I hope you had fun. I, I loved it. This means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, greetings to your, uh, not readers, but uh, listeners, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. So that was DJ Tanith. And if you guys have any sort of questions that you would like me to ask my guests and the future episodes please 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 send me a message you can send me a voice note by clicking on the link below or you could also send me a message on my instagram handle it is at the rate nida chakrabarty n-i-d-a-c-h-a-k-r-a-b-o-r-t-y i will see you guys next weekend thank you for tuning in